Welcome to Chattachesis. I'm your host, Deacon Matt Hallback, PhD, and I'm also a deacon of the Diocese of Des Moines, Iowa. I'm your host of Chattachesis, a podcast series for clergy that helps them find creative and fresh ways to share the gospel message and promote missionary discipleship. This episode is brought to you by Sadlier's Catechetical Programs, Christ in Us for Kindergarten through 8th Grade, and Cristo en Nosotros, the Spanish bilingual edition for kindergarten through 6th grade. They set the standard for faith formation in today's world. Check them out today at sadlyreligion.com slash CIU and see how their innovative approach is changing the future of catechesis. We're here today with Sister Alicia Torres. This is part two of our two-part series. She is a sister of the Franciscans of the Eucharist of Chicago. Uh, if you want to check out our first episode, which you should, it's a lot about her own vocational journey and how the Eucharist played a humongous role in that, and as well as well as the Eucharist as part of her and her sister's apostolic work. So that is our launch pad for this episode with Sister, which is to look more deeply into her work with the Eucharist Revival. So before we get into that, Sister, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Deacon Matt. It's great to be here. <laughs> it's been so long since we talked. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yes, yes. Well, let's just get right into it then. So um, I came across the... Um, the uh, wall back up a second. So uh, for those who might not know, some of our listeners, uh, last year, we were very blessed at Sadler. We had Bishop Cousins on, uh, who's the uh, chair of the USCCB Evangelization and Catechesis Committee, and also a, a primary driver of the National Eucharistic Revival. We did a masterclass together, and we had some time to chat afterwards. And he said to me, um, you know what, we're going to put a newsletter together, and uh, I think it's going to be big. And it's going to be a way to continue to feed people with inspirational stories and truths about our faith and certainly about the Eucharist. And he says, you know, down the road, you should talk to Sister Alicia, uh, who's going to kind of play a large part in that uh, newsletter initiative. So here we are. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I love how the Holy Spirit kind of ties the loops and brings the loose ends together. And uh, so glad to be with you. Um, I want to start with Eucharistic Revival. But before we do newsletter... I read in this article in Vatican News website that you had last year participated or organized a retreat for Eucharist revival preachers. Can you tell me a couple things? One, who are the Eucharist, Eucharistic preachers, National Eucharistic preachers? What does that mean? And two, tell us a little bit about this retreat that you organized. Absolutely. So early on in the revival the bishops wanted to have a core of preachers that could be sent out into dioceses around the country to help light the fire of revival. So not because there's not good preachers all over the country, but because we need some to be appointed to kind of share the good news in a fresh way and inspire that local creativity. And so through a process of discernment and invitation, we have a little over 50 religious priests and diocesan priests from around the country who are our national Eucharistic preachers. So the first way that I served the revival was helping um, through the process of the formation of the Eucharistic preachers. So I worked with Father Jorge Torres, um, who's now the head of CCLV at the USCCB, Clergy Consecrated Life and Vocations. Mm -hmm. And we went through um, this whole process from like idea to reality, which was really exciting And along the way, um, last January, so about a year ago from today, some of our marketing research helped to confirm that actually the primary way that Catholics who were in this research group identified 
that they wanted to learn about their faith was through the homily of a priest at mass. Mm. I'm like, this is wonderful. And what we wanted our preachers to be, what the bishops hoped for was that they would be charismatic Eucharistic preachers, that these preachers would be appointed to proclaim the charisma through the lens of the Eucharist. Because if we don't know the story that what does the Eucharist matter? If we don't know Jesus, then how can we believe that that simple piece of bread and those drops of wine were transformed into the body and blood and soul and divinity of Christ mm-hmm. at every mass? And so um, we were privileged here at Our Lady of the Angels on the west side of Chicago, my religious community to host and be the site for the formation retreat for our Eucharistic preachers. And I mean, the Lord just opened every door. It was so beautiful, a time of prayer, a time of fraternity for our priests and a time of formation. We had Bishop Rhodes, Bishop Cousins, Archbishop Sarton, Tim O'Malley from Notre Dame, who's oh, yeah. a wonderful and fun theologian. Yeah. He's um, a good friend of mine. He's, he's become a friend of mine too. And I just love Tim. So shout out to Tim. <laughs> Um, they came together to offer conferences, Bishop Lombardo, for our priests to walk them through the major catechetical points of Mystery of the Eucharist and the life of the church, which is the document that the bishops released um, November 2020 in support of the Eucharistic revival. Um, and then a lot of them had time for prayer and for building fraternity among themselves. And I'll tell you, the preachers had a profound experience. We brought in, I I have a history in the culinary industry, and I brought in all my friends, um, chefs from like huge restaurants, and they made beautiful meals. So we just wanted it to be beautiful for our priests, because we know that our priests work so hard, um, and they've suffered so much, especially um, in the last 20 years. So we wanted to also have it as an opportunity to thank our priests and to affirm the role that they have in the proclamation of the gospel and the celebration of the liturgy. Like we desperately need priests and without the priest, there is no Eucharist. And so they have been on mission since probably last May. um, And they are offered to dioceses around the country to help proclaim the revival. Um, They help to offer retreats for clergy, for diocesan staff, speak at Eucharistic Congresses, youth rallies, you name it, they're doing it. Um, so you can learn more about the Eucharistic Preachers on our website, eucharisticrevival.org. Oh my gosh, that is so much awesome information. And towards the end there, when you're talking about the, the beautiful food, which is getting me hungry, I made me <laughs> think of that old saying, you know, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. And isn't that funny that it's true, not only for good food, but Eucharist as well. <laughs> so, you know, we consume it and then it, it mm. absolutely feeds our hearts as well. So what a beautiful connection with, uh, the heavenly food and preparing just great food uh, mm-hmm. for the priest and that beautiful connection between altar and table. Um, so awesome way to serve. Were you nervous at all, uh, like leading this and forming these priests or were they, I mean, what, I don't know your disposition. So what was that like for you? Um, you know, I think there's a lot of adrenaline. I mean, and certainly, you know, myself, Father Jorge, um, and those who kind of <laughs> got tapped in along the way, you know, we really see ourselves as servants of the bishops Mm-hmm. The bishops have had this vision and like they've entrusted us to help make it happen. So you feel very um, insufficient, but then like you realize the Lord is the one that's doing it. He's moving the mountains. He's opening the doors. He's touching hearts. We had almost 50 priests come the week before Holy Week to Chicago. Wow. The fact that they were willing to take time out, probably personal time, probably vacation days mm-hmm. to come for this 
mm-hmm. is a testimony to how much our priests love the Eucharist and love God's people. Mm-hmm. So there were so many sacrifices that were made, and it was literally something so beautiful for Jesus. And Bishop Cousins has said a couple of times that for him, that really was practically kind of the launch event of the revival, like that mm-hmm. gathering in Chicago. So I think it'll always have a fond place in our hearts. Um, those of us who've been privileged to serve in different ways as leaders of the revival. Beautiful. My, my uh, adult life in diaconate has been absolutely steeped in catechesis and hence, by the way, the name of the show, Chattachesis. Uh, but what you're saying as far as uh, charismatic preaching uh, very much dovetails with what Pope Francis is calling for in terms of a charismatic renewal of catechesis and really bringing forth this idea of evangelizing catechesis. And it makes me think, or at least my hope is, that these uh, Eucharistic preachers will provide a model for other preachers, priests and deacons, to make sure that the charismatic content, one, is being put forward, and two, is always making connections back to the Eucharist. Absolutely. That's our hope, too, and I think they're doing it. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. All right, so let's pivot just a bit from the retreat that you helped organize to now you're kind of full-time, I guess, uh, working with this newsletter, uh, this National Eucharistic Revival newsletter. So I got to start with just numbers. I like numbers. So can you give me a sense, and maybe you weren't ready for this, but how many subscribers do you think you have right now? So I know that we have just over 40,000 subscribers right now. Wow. 40,000. And how long has the newsletter been up and running? The newsletter was launched last June, uh, the week, the Thursday before, or the Thursday traditionally of Corpus Christi 2022. Wow, 40, that's a lot in a short amount of time, 40,000. Do you have a goal? I mean, you could say, well, everybody, right? We want everyone to right. be subscribed. But was there a goal in mind of? I mean, our goal, we have a really big dream of 2 million subscribers. Oh, um, and, you know, God can do anything. So I still, yes, I still have great hope. Um yeah, totally. Well, Why well not? It, I'll just say this, right? If Father Mike Schmitz can get like a million subscribers because he's a wise and handsome dude, uh, I think the <laughs> Eucharist can get two million because it's the Eucharist. So. <laughs> right, totally. <laughs> All right, wonderful. So let me go back, just kind of another logistical question. Whose idea was it for the Eucharistic Revival Newsletter? You know, I would, you know, I can't tell you exactly because I don't know exactly, but I know that it was on Bishop Cousins' heart. So okay. I'd imagine it probably was Bishop Cousins' idea. Okay. Um, and as we were pivoting from, you know, year zero, meaning the year leading to the launch to the actual year of diocesan revival, Bishop Cousins identified it as the priority to make it happen. Um, yeah. And so after we launched the Eucharistic Preachers, Father Jorge and I got pivoted over to the newsletter. Um, and my, it's, it's changed along the way. So Father Craig Vasek's been working with me since Father Jorge went over to CCLV. Um, and I have a team of wonderful religious sisters and brothers from around the country who are our editorial team. And, and we're all volunteers, Deacon Matt. So it's been beautiful to see how religious communities um, have stepped forward and offered um, their members to serve this newsletter and all of our contributors are also volunteers. No one is paid for the beautiful content that they're developing mm. at the service of the Eucharistic Revival. So I think it's really important to note that. Um, I, you know, we surveyed our readers in November. We had some fantastic responses. We had about 3,000 people respond or over 3,000 to our survey. I just got the report. Um, I have a volunteer up in Wisconsin who put together a fantastic data report for me. 
And, you know, I, I think that our subscribers are assuming that we're with this huge paid staff that's making this happen, but it's literally <laughs> all volunteers through a partnership with OSV. Um, we work with a great team of young adults in a marketing firm downstate Illinois Five Stone. So they're, they've been fantastic, but the majority of what's making the newsletter happen um, is the gift of self of so many men and women. That's beautiful. Um, I, I gotta go. So let's get into the content of the newsletter and, and, and like, what, what was the vision for it? What, you know, so kind of, was it just to be information, which I know it wasn't, but what was kind of the vision for it when it launched? And can you tell our, our listeners what they would find if they received the newsletter? Right. So the vision for the newsletter was really to be the primary communication channel for the revival that we want to inspire, form, and inform the base, the grassroots of mm-hmm. the National Eucharistic Revival. So inspire means evangelize, form means catechize, inform means share the good news of what people are doing so that you can get pumped up about it too. So mm-hmm. if you, and when you subscribe, because I am expecting everyone that's listening to subscribe at the end of this podcast, if you are not already on our list, you better. Um, we will have every week we feature a piece that's related to testimony. So someone's experience of Jesus in the Eucharist. I'm really excited this week. We're going to share the story of Katie Lyon and her daughter, Jennifer, who was born with severe disabilities and how Jennifer brought her whole family to the Eucharist and to the Catholic church. Um, We offer fantastic catechetical articles. So our dear father or doctor, (laughs) he's also a father of wonderful children. Tim O'Malley wrote a three-part series for us on the Eucharistic legacy of Pope Benedict. Um, We also feature podcasts and video content that's related to the Eucharist. We have Jem Sullivan, a professor over at CUA, who writes twice a month reflections on Eucharistic art for us. So there's just so much fantastic content. Um, We're getting ready to launch a series on the Corporal Works of Mercy this Lent. And we've been developing prayer companions to help people to deepen their relationship with Jesus in the Eucharist, particularly during times of adoration, but then helping them to make the connection between devotional prayer, adoration, and liturgical prayer, what happens at Sunday mass. Mm -hmm. So I see now, like, you know, we've kind of like gone from kind of developing this thing to it becoming what the Holy Spirit has, Mm -hmm. I think, ordained it to be. What I see the Eucharistic Revival newsletter, Heart of the Revival, now I see it as a primary way of cultivating a Eucharistic culture to help people live Eucharistic lives. Like that's what the revival is about. It's about encountering Jesus and going on mission with him. Mm-hmm. Right? And so we have to have a Eucharistic culture if people are going to encounter Jesus. And when you encounter him, you can't help, like you have to be by his side. You have to go on mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's living a Eucharistic life. Mm, I love that. I love that. So many good things. And as you were saying, you know, we kind of see it developing into what God always wanted it to be. And I, that's exactly what I was hearing you say. I mean, it's so, it's so Christocentric. It's so Eucharist centric. Um, it's ecclesially centric. Uh, and in the way you're going about it with all these different sort of flavors from the devotional to the liturgical, to the catechetical and the scriptural, it's just a beautiful um, testament to what can happen when people inspired by the spirit, continue to listen and take action. So beautiful. I I'm a big fan of the, of the newsletter. So being a fan, I I'm sure you're a fan, obviously, but my question <laughs> for you is, uh, do you have like a particular story or article 
or testimony that that was your favorite or maybe you know maybe you looked at the analytics and and one is like super popular do you have any in mind that you could share with our listeners you know um as i look over the data from the last several months two things really pop out to me as far yeah. as the story um andrew who works um at the uscb in family life he wrote this testimony and the title of it was failing to sense the real presence and he shared about how throughout his life and his adult life, even as he was discerning and in the seminary, he never had a felt experience, an emotional mm-hmm. experience that confirmed his intellectual belief in the real presence. And then one day it happened. But I think that that resonated with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Deacon Matt, sometimes we can fall into the trap that we have to have a feeling for it to be real. Mm-hmm. But we know from our experience that faith is a gift from God. Mm-hmm. And to live our faith is so much more about conviction than it is about feeling. Just like loving our spouse or loving our children. <laughs> you don't feel it all the time, but you choose to love. And love requires a sacrifice. And that's what it means to be a Eucharistic person. It's like I live with Jesus his sacrifice. I am present as Jesus is present to me, to those around me. And because of that, we cultivate communion. Um, And so Andrew did a fantastic job of just, I think, identifying something that many people struggle with and sharing from his heart what Mm. that journey was like for him. And I'm just so grateful to him for that. Well, we are definitely going to um, link to the Eucharistic newsletter in our episode here. So on Chattakees' website, be looking for that as well as the article on Sister by Vatican News. Um, Just we have like a minute or two left, Sister, and you were talking about living Eucharistically. And I think that's challenging in the sense of what, to envision what that means. What does that look like to live Eucharistically? And you made me think of how do we think about Eucharist? Are there themes that we can uh, pull out and, and, and live into? And you just mentioned one, right? You mentioned the sacrifice. And obviously Thanksgiving, which is what the word Eucharist really means or derived from. Uh, sacrifice, Thanksgiving, praise, offering praise to God, uh, and service. Mm-hmm. You know, I, there's at least four, you know, four themes, uh, four things that we can think about that are broad, broad stroke things that if we live into them, we can say, in effect, we're trying to live Eucharistic lives. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I think... Deacon Matt, those are all great. And I think I want to really emphasize that dimension of sacrifice. And I think Mm. if we look at the liturgy, if we look at the mass, we actually receive the template in the mass. Mm -hmm. You know, we have the liturgy Mm. of the word where we are prepared and we encounter the Lord through the word. But then we go into the liturgy of the Eucharist. And what is that? It's a reliving of the Paschal mystery. And we have the sacrifice of Christ, the presence of Christ and communion with Christ. And that's what we then are missioned out of the mass to live. We make a gift of ourselves like Jesus does every day. That's the invitation. We're present to the people, even that we can't stand. (laughs) Like we choose to be present. When you're present to someone that you cannot stand, you automatically open up a space of communion, right? Mm. Like you're driving me crazy. I don't agree with you, but I'm choosing to see Jesus in you. And I want to be in relationship with you. Does it matter that we disagree on these other things? You are a child of God too. 
And I think that that's what the Lord is challenging us to enter into is this dynamic of sacrifice, presence, mm. and communion. And mm. we receive the grace, we receive the nourishment we need at every Eucharist, especially for most of us on every Sunday when we go, right? Some of us have the privilege of going every day. Um, mm-hmm. And it's from that renewed experience every week at Sunday Mass that we receive the strength we need to live these Eucharistic lives. I think there's an article in there, sister, or at least some kind of feature for the newsletter on, you know, living Eucharistically in the face of opposition and, you know, the people that are difficult, a culture that's difficult, et cetera. So wonderful stuff. And it's always too short. You know, this is our our second episode together. And just like the first one, it was over in the blink of an eye. So unfortunately, we're at an end. But as we always do, it's a tradition on Chattachesis. We ask the guest if if you say a prayer for our listeners or offer a blessing. Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time. Please inspire us, encourage us to live Eucharistic lives, to make a gift of ourselves as Jesus does every day for us at every Mass and every moment of our lives. Lord Jesus, we love you. Help us to love you more. Amen. Amen. In the, name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, sister, thank you for being on Chattachesis. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been so fun. (laughs) This has been another episode of Chattachesis. I'm your host, Deacon Matt Hallback, and I look forward to chatting with you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Chattachesis. Head over to sadlyreligion.com forward slash podcast to hear more. And don't forget to request your sample and trial of Christ in Us and our bilingual edition, Cristo in Nosotros at sadlyreligion.com forward slash CIU.